0: landscaping with Kevin in our yard and uh, planted a whole bunch of seeds, wildflower seeds. And the thing about wildflower seeds is they take a while before they bloom. You have to pour into them, water them, put it, you know, take care of them for a while, and it's two years before you're probably going to see something come up, right? Okay. So there's this investment, but I feel like it's worth it, you know, putting these things in the ground, planting these seeds, and seeing them come to fruition, even if it's a long time down the road. That agricultural, if you will, gardening metaphor is something that Paul is going to use. It's—I mean—it absolutely applies to what we're doing with our children here. But it's—it's it's also something that Paul is going to teach us. In fact, you remember just a few weeks ago we were—in we're, by the way—we're at the very end of Galatians. Two more messages on it. Um, we're in Galatians six now, and uh, he was talking about the fruit of the spirit. This is stuff that if you're abiding in Christ, if you're deeply rooted in Jesus, what happens is inevitably there are going to be these great things that come from that that transform your life and transform the lives of others, just good things. We're going to be messed up people forever, but when we're abiding in Christ, these these things are going to grow up through us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I might have left one out, but, but something like that. All those are really good and very special things that come from a relationship with Christ. That's that agricultural metaphor. We don't add those things to us to be better before him, but they come through him, through us knowing him, and they come out of us in our relationships. All those things have to do with relationships. Did you notice that? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. All those are about interaction with other people. And today we're going to move ahead into yet another one. And this one is uh, just what I mentioned, the idea of sowing and reaping. And we all understand that metaphorically. And Paul's going to just really try to draw that into a spiritual perspective for us. But here's the main point today. So I'm I'm saying to you, I'm saying to myself, so good. S-E-W, good. So good. That's what Paul's going to tell us. So look at uh, Galatians 6, and we're going to start in verse 7. Don't be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but for one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap, if we do not not give up. So then... As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I'm going to break this out into three points. Uh, One is the proverb that he starts out with, the proverb and the perspective and the principle. Proverb, perspective, and principle. So we'll we'll follow uh, his line of thought that way. So this idea of the proverb, I mean, this is a common secular proverb, right? You reap what you sow. We've heard that. You know, I was listening to the radio the other day. And somebody sang in the lyrics, you know, I'm going to plant this, I'm going to sow this, you know, so we all understand that. Uh, and so Paul brings that up in verse, in the back half of verse 7. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. But Paul is going to turn that from just, uh, you know, that you can apply that to investing, to, you know, almost anything. But he's going to turn it very spiritual and the the way we know that is from the first part of verse seven. He says, "God is not mocked." And and when he when he says that, the actual Greek word there is that it means that God doesn't let you turn up your nose at Him. That's the you know the the phrase that's that's being used. Uh, what that means is we tell ourselves, "I can do this. I can do whatever I want, and I'll I'll kind of deal with the consequences and move on. It'll be okay." But this is saying, you can't trick God. There is a bigger thing going on here. And what you reap, you will sow. So just be sure. So, we, so he just starts it off and categorizes this whole thing spiritually. So then in verse 8, we see the real spiritual part. And for those of you who aren't like real churchy people or haven't had a whole lot of church, get ready because this is a churchy verse. Okay, <laughs> this is the... this. Can you imagine saying this to your friend? This is how I know it's churchy when I'm like, if I was sitting with a friend who doesn't know Jesus or doesn't know anything about the church, would I say, for the one who sows to the flesh will reap from the flesh corruption? No, I would not. In case you're wondering, I would not say that. Uh, but the one who sows to the spirit will reap will from the spirit reap eternal life. That's spiritual talk, Right? And that's okay. But what we need to do is make sure we understand it in the context that we're in right now. I mean, come on, y'all. The the original is written in Greek. I don't have to speak Greek to you for you to understand the Bible, or you don't have to read it in Greek. And this is one way of saying something. What we're going to do is bring it a little more into our context that we're in right now so we can understand it. Because I would never say, hey, so to the Spirit, David, if you're not a Christian, you're going to go, what are you talking about? You know, it just doesn't make sense. But in the church, we get it a little bit. what does it mean to sow to the flesh? Okay, I don't think any of you are probably gonna jump up and say, I know, I'm gonna tell you what it is, to sow to the flesh. But I think, I think what it is, uh, let, me, let me say this. Just because it's ch- a churchy sounding thing doesn't mean it's not valid. Doesn't mean it's not really, really, really important. But what does it mean to sow to the flesh? If you sow to your flesh, You're basically doing something that is completely self-centered, okay? sowing that's what that means. If I sow to the flesh, I I do everything I am doing. I work towards being completely self-centered. Now, I don't struggle with that. I don't know about you guys. (laughs) If I take all the decisions that I make, the things that I say, the things... How about this? The things, guys, that I say, I shouldn't say that to Claire. I shouldn't say that thing... When I do say it, I realize how self-centered it really was, okay? I don't know if you women do that, but I definitely do that. I'm, I am so much about myself. And when we sow to ourselves, it says what we're going to reap is corruption. And what that word means is it means decay. What we're going to reap is rot, okay? So can you imagine, you know, somebody plants something in the ground, and they go up there out and they dig, and what they find is like a carcass, rotting carcass. It's just, this is the result of reaping to ourselves. Decay. Rot. Nothing that we can use. Nothing that will benefit anybody else. But we sow to ourselves anyway. It's just naturally what we do. And we'll reap corruption. That's what that means. There'll be nothing that we reap that will benefit ourselves or somebody else. And these are These are daily decisions that we make. We're planting seeds that have long-term consequences or results, right? Well, he says in uh, verse 8, in the second half of that, he says, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Well, that's even harder because if I said, okay, how do, you, how do you sow to the Spirit? What are you going to tell me? Uh, and Paul's going to answer that for us, by the way, in just a minute. And there's another thing. It says, when you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap eternal life. Well, we all know, we all believe, especially probably if you're in this room, wherever you are spiritually, that we have eternal souls. So we all are going to be eternally somewhere, someplace. So, how what does that mean that something eternal comes out of this? Because we already are, are there. Let me uh, let me ask you this. I don't, some of you are probably old enough, like me, to have watched a show called Let's Make a Deal. And uh, I used to pre-religiously watch Let's Make a Deal. And if you remember. And I actually, I discovered, and I'll tell you in a minute why, that this ties into Crested Butte pretty tightly. Uh, uh, Monty, what was the guy's name? Monty? Thank Yes, okay, all you have answered, you know. All right. We're in the 50 to 65 range. <laughs> so... Uh, Monty Hall would give people a choice he'd say well, you pick between door 1 2 and 3 and you don't know what's behind it right and people would choose one and there'd be something great like a broyhill you know dining room set right and so you know and then they would say well do you want to trade or your, do you want to trade that pinto for that glossy pinto for what's in this envelope and it could be, you know, a check for $50,000 or whatever. You know, I don't know what it was back then. But, you know, so they had to choose. There was not an obvious choice. It was always putting the known against the unknown. Remember that? Well, here, here's the thing about why it's Crested Butte. Because did you ever, you remember the audience? They're supposed to dress up like maniacs. <laughs> I had forgotten that. I started thinking about this. And I was like, wait a second. This is deep inside me. It was, it's like an Al Johnson in the audience <laughs> at Price uh, pri- uh, Let's Make a Deal every week. And so, you know, the guy who's dressed up the craziest is the one who gets to, to make this choice. But the thing about what Paul's doing is he's putting, he's not putting one thing we know and one thing we don't. He's saying, here's two things. Here are two things. You need to choose between them. And one is corruption. And one is Life. Now, I think that's pretty easy. One is rottenness, stinking rottenness that goes nowhere. It has no impact. And the other one is life, good things, things that last forever. Now, which are you going to choose? They're both in front of us. It's not the both doors are open. Which one do you want? The one who sows to the spirit will reap from the spirit eternal life. So this is, what, this is the difference. This is the, more the translation, the two choices that we have. Rot or decay or corruption or life in permanent, eternal things. I, I think it's an easy choice. That's a stark contrast. So there's this proverb that Paul takes, and he, turns it from, he he turns it from just a secular proverb, you'll reap what you sow, and he moves it over to something very spiritual and very permanent. And then the perspective. Paul's going to tell us sowing this is not easy. Look at verse nine. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Do you notice that he defines what sowing to the spirit is right here? So he get actually as he goes through this passage, he gets more and more practical. It's real spiritual at the beginning. It gets more and more practical. He says, let's not give up in doing good. In sowing to the spirit, sow good, sow good. But sowing good requires a long-term perspective. It, it doesn't reap what you want right away. It's just like those, those seeds that I planted or the things that we're doing for our babies. It's gonna be a long time and we may be gone but we want health and, and hope and good things, right? So we plant and we invest and we work towards that. This flies in the face of the consumer society that we live in and that I so bought into. I was listening to the radio the other day and they said something about, it was an economic you know, show and they were talking about how, as we all know, our, our economy is based on consumer spending. So everything is based on what we can get as soon as, as possible and how we can borrow money to get it right? Not to save and invest and plan, right? Our, that's, what our, that's what everything is based on in our economy, consumer spending. And this flies in the face of that. So when we go the spiritual route, the obvious choice route, I think what's going to happen is, is we're going to be in a place where we have to persevere. And that's what Paul is reminding us. Let us, and he includes himself in that, let's go together. This is going to take time. It's worth doing, And then, you know, he's kind of vague. He says, do good. Well, okay. What does that look like? I need more, you know, give me something sort of practical. And James, this is the coolest passage. I can't wait to read it to you. And I've read James a few times in my life, but I I don't know how I missed this. James kind of picks up on Paul in Galatians. This is in James 3. In verse 13, we're going to read 13 and skip to 17. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Okay, get ready. But the wisdom from above, from Christ, is first pure, these are good things, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. He's tying back to Galatians. Impartial and sincere. Okay, and this is the best of all. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. How did I miss that in James all this time? It's such an important help to help us understand. He says, wisdom from above results in these things. Wisdom from above means we're connected to Jesus, okay? We don't add these things like work, work, work at being peaceful and work, work, work. You can try that, and, and maybe you'll have a little bit come from it, but what we're trying to say here, it'll be joyful, is when we abide in Christ first, those things are the result, that wisdom from above comes from abiding in Christ, so that we're the the... We're drinking from that, that he is filling us and the blossom is this thing. I mean, so here's the goodness that comes from that. Peace, gentleness, reasonableness, mercy, impartiality, and sincerity. Who doesn't want that? And what culture doesn't need that? This is an amazing passage, y'all. This is amazing what if christians in this church were sowing seeds that resulted in those things in this community i mean just in this community most of you guys except for maybe i think two or three and those of you who aren't regulars with us have really close ties to us into this town what if we were sowing those seeds in our town in our families in our in So let me say it this way, and and, uh, uh, Hal and Roz actually, uh, so glad to have you guys back in town, home, home to do just this. But they put a a CD on my desk a while back by a guy named Oz Guinness. And Oz is an English intellectual Christian. And the thing that he said in that whole CD that just leapt out this interview he's doing, we need to be known... For what we are for, not what we are against. We will never introduce people to Jesus by telling them what we are against, and by putting barriers up about how you have to cross this threshold to be like me to be okay. Every time I hear a story of someone who got burned because in the church, because they had to be a certain way or weren't loved and accepted because they they were somehow different or whatever. It just burns me up. But I, honestly, I mean, so then, but, well, peace, gentleness, reasonableness, mercy, impartiality, and sincerity. And a harvest of goodness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Wow. What if that was us? I mean, I, I know all of you guys are in town. I'm going to see you in town. What if that's us? A harvest of good. From these things. Okay, but that's that's sort of the, we persevere so that those things will be the result. Because it takes time for those things to, to be borne out in our lives. Okay, just a couple of thoughts on the idea of the principle. He gets really practical here in uh, in verse ten. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul kind of expands the, the, the impact range, right? It's not like a, a laser-guided deal. He says, let's do good to everyone. Uh, did you see how Paul took, he took this, this proverb and he said, you have this choice between corruption and decay and, and doing things just to, to feed your own self and doing good, to produce great things, good things, things that last forever, eternal things. And then he comes here and he says, here's a practical way to work this out. Do good to everyone. So to the spirit by doing good to everyone. He didn't, I mean, what if I'd read that and it said, do good to your favorite people. Just only do good to the ones who you like the most and never offend you and just are the greatest and do everything you like the way you like it. That that sounds easier, (laughs) but do good to everyone. That has sort of a, that has a local context. We obviously can't uh, do something good for everyone in the world. So let's let's back up and take this reasonably. There's a local impact to this. Uh, Plenty of places to do good to everyone around us from our families on out. But then there's a global opportunity for this church, and I'm so thankful for our mission team that's working on that. So many of them are going to go to this justice conference and find out how we can do good in our world and come back and get us all inspired and stoked about that so that we're doing good on a broader perspective globally. But he says something that's interesting right at the end. He says, do good to everyone, especially to those in the household of faith. And we've talked about this a couple of times in Galatians where Paul says... He references what Jesus said. When Jesus said, when people see you doing good to each other, loving each other, caring for each other, meeting each other's needs, embracing each other, not judging each other, then they're going to go. There's something different. And it's not going to point them to us. It's going to point them to him. When they see you in unity, people will see Jesus. And so when he says, so good to the household of faith... He includes that in, there's a, a, in verse 6. He says, hey, be sure and take care of those who work for you, who serve you in the church. And not, thankfully, our church does a beautiful job of that. But that's one of the practical things he says about that. It, but we're to care for one another in, in every way that we can so that other people who don't know Jesus will see and, and look to him. And then they can interact with him. It's not between us and them. We're not in between. So let me, uh, let me close by saying this. We're, we're all planting seeds. You're doing it. I'm doing it. You're going to make decisions today that are about planting seeds. But as you do that, let me encourage you to consider this passage. I'm going to read this. We're going to take communion together right after this. And uh, Alf, if you want to just come on up while i you got your crew. I'm going to read and close From James 3 again. So I just want to encourage you to meditate on this as we're uh, uh, taking communion this morning. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace.